Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Michael Slate Show. We have also put together an incredible show for you. This station is all the more important right now in these extraordinarily intense times where the sharp divides among the ruling class itself are intensifying and will not be resolved on the normal terms within the norms and the laws and the ruling structures that have held this country together since shortly after the Civil War. These are deep divides. They are affecting every ruling institution and all the way through the population. I am going to be getting into this together with Andy Z, the host of the Revolution Nothing Less show in the bulk of the hour here today. Um, we're going to kick this off and frame this situation with an excerpt from the interviews that we did with Bob Avakian, the revolutionary leader, last fall. I'll introduce that in a moment. And then later in the hour, I am going to share with you an interview that I did with Mark Joseph Stern, who is a writer at Slate.com, who covers the courts and the law. And he is going to be helping us understand the extraordinarily fascist, misogynist, anti-scientific, and lawless ruling from a federal judge out of Amarillo, Texas, which drastically restricts mifepristone, a abortion medication used in more than half the abortions in this country right now. Um, so we'll be getting into all of that as we go forward in these extraordinary times. So with that, let's get moving. We refuse to accept this system's future. A better world without exploitation and oppression is possible. We, the Revcoms, call on you to join us on May Day to send this message to the world and to serve notice. In these dark times, we are building a force to bring forward thousands and then millions into a movement for an actual revolution. Revolution means overthrowing this economic and political system of capitalism imperialism. Why overthrow? Because it cannot be reformed. Look around you from the sweatshops of Bangladesh to the mines of the Congo, from Juarez, Mexico to Memphis, Tennessee. This system bitterly grinds people up and destroys the environment, all to amass its great wealth. This system oppresses black and brown and other people of color through discrimination, segregation, police murder, and more. This system holds down women and now denies them even the right to control their own bodies. This system demonizes and discriminates against LGBTQ people. Transgenderism must be eradicated. It cruelly persecutes refugees and immigrants. And right now, the capitalist imperialists who run the U.S are taking things to the brink of nuclear war. Not for the Ukrainians, but to defend and expand their domination of the world against other imperialists. Sansari, the call for May Day goes on to say, quote, the chance to make this revolution is real. It's not something off in the distant future and that the possibility for this resides both in all the horrific outrages that were just spoken to from that May Day call and the reality that this system can't solve even a single one of these outrageous forms of oppression that people care about and should be what a truly just society is working to uproot and fully eliminate. But today, under this system, 
Tens of millions of people in this country and billions of people worldwide. All of these horrors grow worse by the day and by the week at tremendous cost to people's lives. And today, there is not only that long-needed basis for revolution in the workings of this capitalist imperialist system that we live under, but there's a real opening and chance now to actually make that revolution. This is what we're going to get into today. So Bob Avakian has laid out the roadmap to wrench a revolution out of this rare time in a piece that's called Something Terrible or Something Truly Emancipating. Bob Avakian is a revolutionary leader who came out of the 1960s. And as you'll get a sense of in the excerpt that we're going to play from him in just a moment, he's somebody who gave his heart to the people and who was on fire and remains on fire to make the revolution that humanity so urgently needs to get free. And more than that, over decades of work and struggle, he has developed a new communism, a whole new understanding, a further and more scientific understanding about how we can make this revolution that humanity needs and how we carry that forward in a new society. He's written a constitution for the new socialist republic in North America, what we would replace this rotten system with and how in a new society we would go about uprooting all the forms of oppression and, and injustice that seem to be just so much what people take for granted and think they have to live with. So you're going to get to meet Bob Avakian in this excerpt. Um, we encourage you to watch the whole interviews that this is taken from that we did with him last fall. You can find them on our channel. And in this excerpt, we ask him to talk about this rare time that we're in. So we want to use that to frame our discussion today. Now, you know, there could be urgency without possibility. And that, of course, would be very bad. <laughs> But as I've written, you know, in the work you referred to, something terrible or something truly emancipating, there's also what's going on within this country with the divisions within the ruling class, which are unprecedented, haven't happened, you know, before, since the Civil War, essentially. And, you know, these are getting sharper all the time. And now left to itself, of course, that's very bad. It can only lead to a very bad outcome because one of these you know, one section of the ruling class represented by the Republican Party is an openly fascist party. It's openly white supremacist, misogynist, patriarchal, male supremacist, male supremacist. You know, right down the line, it's like openly and aggressively, you know, insisting upon oppressive relations and the violence to back that up. You know, and, you know, repeatedly you hear, you know, Republican Party politicians encouraging violence while they have this base of millions of people out there who are, you know, chomping at the bit to commit violence, to get rid of all this stuff where, you know, any kind of possible concession of any limited kind to the struggle against white supremacy, you know, and male supremacy and so on. You know, they just, you know, they can't stand the idea that, you know, gay people are out of the closet and now there's trans people asserting their rights. They just can't stand this. And to them, you know, this, this, they regard this as existential. They regard this as a, as a way the country is going that is totally unacceptable to them. It's not worth living in if this is the way the country goes, even with these minor concessions, while all this oppression is by, by no means eliminated and is you know, powerfully enforced by the workings of the system. But even minor talk about concessions to it is too much for them. And as I pointed out you know, when we were talking before, you know, this is driven by Christian fundamentalists, Christian fascists. Let's not 
Let's not call them Christian nationalists. Yes, they're American chauvinist nationalists, but they're fascists. They're Christian fundamentalist fascists, you know, who want a theocratic society. That means a society ruled by religious authorities, namely, you know, religious authorities of the type that they are and that they recognize as legitimate. That's what they want. They want, you know, what's that Bobert, that congresswoman, you know, said, you know, that, that we shouldn't have any more of this separation of church and state. The church should run the state. The church should dictate the terms of the state. I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty close to her exact words. You know, so this is what, you know, this is all out of the, this is all out of the closet now, if you want to use that term. So this is, you know, one section of the ruling class and one part of society aligned with them and, you know, following their leadership, you know, but in a, you know, mutually influencing relationship. It's not just a Republican say you do this and then they do it. It's like, I mean, we'd have to go into more about Trump and everything, but just really quickly. Trump broke all the rules when he ran for president in 2015, 2016. You can't say bad things about John McCain. He's a war hero. Well, he did. They said, that's, that's be it. You can't, you can't do that. Guess what? He kept right on going. And he, he broke all the rules. You know, he openly called for people to be beat up, beaten up at his rallies and all this kind of stuff. He openly promoted violence. You know, and he said himself, I could murder somebody on Fifth Avenue in New York City. And all my supporters would still support me. And lo and behold, they have. You know, he hasn't quite murdered anybody yet on Fifth, you know, Fifth Avenue. But, you know, he had the Access Hollywood tape where, you know, he openly talked about sexually assaulting women. You know, well, you know, maybe for a day it was like, oh, you know, and I remember one of his supporters who became his press secretary, that Kaylee McEnany, you know, she did this whole routine. It's interesting to see what her routine was in defending Trump. She said, we're all sinners in the eyes of God, but we've been washed in the blood of Jesus. So therefore, Trump, you know, will be forgiven. This is her line she ran out. This is Christian fascism, okay? That's what these people are. And, you know, that's all on one side, and that's heading toward a very bad place. But the, the reason why there's a positive potential here, it's not been realized yet. When I say something truly emancipating, that's the possibility which has to be seized on. But the reason I say that is because this is breaking down all the established norms of the system, all the ways in which people have been conditioned to go along with the system and believe that by playing by the rules, you know, things will work out all right. You know, the peaceful transfer of power. Well, we should understand. What is the peaceful transfer of power? It's the peaceful transfer of power from one section of the ruling class represented by the Democrats to the other section of the ruling class now represented by the Republicans or vice versa. Well, Trump, you know, even as early as the 2016 election made clear he wasn't going to go along with that. And then in 2020, it took a whole nother leap, you know, where he didn't go along with it. And, you know, and he came, as people point out, came very close to actually pulling off a coup and remaining in power not just with January 6th, but with the whole effort that he made. And still more is coming out about what was involved in this attempted coup. You know, and, and so this is all, you know, breaking down the norms of the system. And those norms have what conditioned people to, you know, to believe that you just go along with the way things are. You may not like how they're going now, but then you, next time you have a chance to vote. You know, and I see all these commentators coming on, you know, uh, and, and, you know, making good analysis of this Christian fundamentalism, although they won't call it Christian fascism, 
But then what do they end up saying? Well, you know, we have the power to stop this because we can vote. But look what's happening to the vote. You know, you have fascist officials in many of these states, you know, the crazy way the U.S. is set up as the United States of America, not a single country. I mean, it is a single country, but it's a country composed of different states, each of which has their own laws. You know, right now there's a bunch of states that are making legalizing marijuana, but for a long time, you know, there was hardly any. So, but you could go to a different state and smoke marijuana, you know, but then if you took it back over the border with you to another state, you'd be in big trouble. That's the craziness of this country, okay? Besides, you know, because they had all these different colonies in the, in the first place. Some of them were slave, based on slavery. Some of them had slaves, but they weren't so much based on slavery. And they had to figure out how to put it together. So they put it together as an amalgamation of states. And it took them a while, a couple of tries, to get even a, a strong federal central government. So, you know, with all, the reason I'm raising that is you got all these different states where you got all these fascists in office now, including the crucial offices that oversee the elections. And you got legislatures controlled by Republicans in many states who are openly saying, if we don't like the results of the election, we'll just invalidate them. We'll say that they're no good, and we'll just cast the, the, the electoral votes for whom we want to get in there. So even more than usual, I mean, voting in this, in this country is voting for one or another section of this, you know, horrendously oppressive ruling class anyway. But now it's even less meaningful, even more meaningless to vote when you have all these Republicans who are not even going to allow the election. I mean, 2020 was a, as some people have pointed out, a dress rehearsal. You know, and they're preparing if the election doesn't go the way they want to just, you know, talk about stop the steal. They're prepared to steal it in any case and to do it, quote unquote, legally by having the, the legislatures and the, you know, the, the uh, secretaries of state overseeing elections and the courts backing them up. Now, let's remember, if there's a dispute about what's legal or not or what's constitutional or not, where does it go to the courts and where does it ultimately go? If, say, you go to one lower court and then you go to an appeals court and they overturn the lower court, where does it go then? To the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is controlled by fascists. That's who just rendered the, the verdict overturning Roe v. Wade, which had been nearly 50 years a constitutional right for the whole country. That's, you know, the ultimate decider now is the Supreme Court. And that's dominated by fascists. And that, you know, think about the effect of that ruling, overturning Roe v. Wade and the shockwaves it sent and the way it angered people. Well, things like that are going to continue to happen. And that's going to shake up a lot of people and make them much more open to questioning what's going on here and why do things, uh, you know, falling apart and being torn apart like this and what's the answer to this. And that's where the revolutionaries come in and providing the answer in uniting with people in resisting outrages and struggling against oppression but most of all, bringing to people the, the basic understanding of what is going on here and how this conflict in the society overall, including at the very top among the, the opposing sections of the ruling class, can provide openings for us to actually go at the whole system and, and, the, and holds the potential for the splitting apart of its dominant institutions, even the ones that carry out violent suppression of the people rising up. So this is what, this is what we mean when we say something terrible or something truly emancipating. But the truly emancipating has to come from us. 
has to come from the revolutionaries. It has to come from the people who catch hell under this system all the time. And it has to come from people who want justice in the world, even if they aren't catching the worst hell all the time. They have to wake up and recognize that their mission is not to get behind one section of the ruling class or another. And especially now, to recognize and seize on the opportunity to put revolution on the map and then build on that, involving thousands and then ultimately millions of people to shake the whole society to its foundations and every institution in the society. And when, that, when those conditions ripen, then to go for the whole thing. That clip from Bob Avakian from the interview we did with him last fall gives us a framework for looking at how this great divide in the, throughout the whole country and concentrated in the ruling class, what that has to do with and how that opens up the possibility for revolution. And this last week has been a literal barrage of fascist moves and democratic fretting about this and not even looking at the essence of this danger. And so I thought it'd be important, Sansar, for us to get into this the events of this past week to bring to life even more the kinds of things that Bob Avakian was pointing to that frame the situation we're in and its potential. Yeah, you know, um, Friday night, the night after our last episode dropped, this fascist judge out of Texas, um, federal judge, issued this ruling that we're going to be talking more about later in the show with Mark Joseph Stern. Um, but it was a, this is the most sweeping and dramatic assault on women's right to abortion that has happened since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year and overturned right. the constitutional protection for abortion rights. And on top of that, it is also a further shaping of the courts into an instruments, into instruments of fascist atrocity, into instruments of theocracy. It is an utterly lawless decision. And it has the contours of a constitutional crisis because you had uh, two different federal courts ruling within an hour of each other, giving the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, opposite and impossible to comply with both um, rulings from a federal court. So this is really an intensification of the splits in, in this society and the ruling institutions all the way down. Just days after that uh, was a just a horrific, the, I think it was the 130th mass shooting in this country just this year in Tennessee, three nine-year-olds in a Christian school, and three of the school administrators were gunned down. But then an unprecedented thing happened. Students marched to the state house, and some of the state legislators, including two new, relatively new young black Democratic Party representatives, marched with the students and into the state house. Uh, one of them was Justin Jones, and the other was Justin Peterson. Pearson, rather. And then on Thursday last week, they were, because they did this and were on a bullhorn, within one day, the legislature, the speaker of the legislature in Tennessee, passed a motion and they were thrown out and stripped of their seats. This is very serious because it is the breaking the norms of how this system has been ruled, including it was, it was reminiscent of this civil war and the betrayal of the civil war and reconstruction, because these were the two black, young black leg legislators thrown out of there. And this is not something that, ha that happens very often. And not only that, the, they were preparing to pass a bill which on, on expanding the rights to guns, which is of course, these Christian fascists are preparing for civil war. 
And this is something you've seen in the aftermath of January 6th. And this is in a state, Tennessee, where it was one of the last states to join the Confederacy. And it was actually very divided then with, I think, 130,000 soldiers going to the Confederacy and about 30,000 going to the unions and formed brigades there. So this here concentrated a great deal about where this country is headed. And we're going to get into that more in today's episode. And the charging of a former president with 34 counts of criminal felony which is unprecedented itself. And we talked about Trump's reaction to that and Tucker Carlson telling people not time to put away your AR-15s, more talk of civil war. Um, but just since then, uh, Jim Jordan and other fascists uh, in Congress are, are trying to open up hearings and investigations into the Trump prosecution. And in response, Alvin Bragg, the DA who's prosecuting Trump, has now sued Jim Jordan, to try to cut him off. You have dueling institutions of the state. Can't even figure out how to do something like a, a, a basic criminal investigation because... Criminal it, trial. Uh, yeah, a criminal trial, because exactly what Bob Avakian was talking about. One section of these rulers have completely abandoned the norms and are determined to shred them. And so the other section is, is still trying to play by the rules and rely on them, but, but this will not be resolved. None of these contradictions is going to be resolved within the norms that have held this country together. Yeah, and since, sorry, the sharpening situation uh, was also indicated on the international front, which we've been talking about a lot on this show in terms of the danger of World War, the uh, ongoing war in Ukraine. But in the last week, there's been revelations about, uh, about that war, data leaks and all this kind of stuff. We're not going to get into that today, but it's a backdrop of, of, of the crisis. But there were a number of developments on the diplomatic front that were really had the the, the feel and texture of uh, pre-war type type situations where China had been doing military maneuvers off the coast of Taiwan. I bring all this in just to make the point that the big part of the while the Democrats have no answers and are just trying to play by the rules, a lot of how they are going at things is to secure the empire by preparing for war with their imperialist rivals. Yeah, I think with all of these divides just sharpening up within the rulers, between different sections of them, within different branches of the government itself, um, within different institutions and down through the population, I think um, it'd be worth it to kind of draw these together, and, and especially in light of what we just heard from B.A. Yeah, I think it'd be helpful just to focus this up for the audience. The events of the past week and, and beyond indicate a few things. I'm going to make three points on it. One, that this system cannot be reformed. Two, that there is no peaceable reconciliation between these two forces in the ruling class. And that goes all the way down in, into society, as you just said, that the, the, they're armed all through the, the, some of these fascist forces who were at January 6th and beyond. And three, that when the rulers are at each other's throats and people's lives are disrupted, and the way they've expected things to be, the way they've expected the ruling class to behave, the fact that all this is being disrupted and those norms don't apply is causing people to question, or it can cause people to question, why, are, why is this happening? What does it say about the system that, that this is happening? But it also can cause people to focus their vision and that we here have to focus our vision and direct the sights of the masses of people on the need and the possibility of a radically different future for a whole different kind of society without 
all the things that they do that we're, we brought forth in the beginning of the show, people got to be asking, why the hell is all this going on? What do we do about it? And when people see the slave masters fighting each other, they should have the sense that there's an opportunity there to be free from slavery. Yeah, I think right now what it poses is that we have to be out there, both providing a way out, providing the answer, lifting people's sights to revolution, and forcing them to question, forcing them to confront the big questions that are posed, because a lot of people are seeking shelter from it. And one of the, the examples of this that is so striking, I mean, there's many, but last week we played some excerpts from Trump's speeches in Waco and at CPAC. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that a lot of people don't want to confront what he's really saying. And I think we should, we should review some of what we shared and, and talk about just how serious this is. Yes, there's the madness, but there's a method within it that is very dangerous. You and I have been engaged in an epic struggle to rescue our country from the people who hate it and want to absolutely destroy it. The sinister forces trying to kill America have done everything they can to stop me, to silence you, and to turn this nation into a socialist dumping ground for criminals, junkies, Marxists, thugs, radicals, and dangerous refugees that no other country wants. No other country wants them. You, you can see there's three things here. You know, one, this fascist breaking of the norms. Second, no regard for the truth and this sense of grievance of the leader, but he's saying this is actually your grievance. I'm channeling that for you. And, and, but here's a problem that you began to, that you were addressing, that the media treats this as if it's just, uh, they dismiss it, uh, and they, they calculate it. Is this going to help Trump beat DeSantis? Does this going to help Biden beat Trump if it's Trump? And, and, and he's a buffoon and it's just a bunch of, he's relitigating uh, the last election, but they're missing the point. There's a real hiding from the reality that there's a concerted, highly organized, well-funded fascist strategy. On the one hand, you have Trump and you need that in fascism. I spoke to this last week. You need the person who will be utterly outrageous, sometimes a buffoon, aggrieved, who can channel these and, and these deep wells of, of white supremacy, patriarchy, hatred of foreign born, and willing to just break all the norms. But there's a, on, and, and he's setting some norms. He's telling people, and he's letting, he's signifying and he's telling people, you can forget about how things have been. This is your time. I'm bringing you your time. And then at the same time, this well-funded movement has been working to take over all the courts at the state level, the federal level, and turn them into fascist courts. Uh, and uh, this professor from, uh, Th uh, named Thomas Zimmer at uh, Georgetown University, he's a historian. He was just on the Refuse Fascism podcast, and I'm going to condense what he said. On the state level, we're not seeing chaos. We're seeing a very deliberate, very systematic, very successful counter-offensive, reactionary offensive. That's happening wherever Republicans are in charge and all Republican-led states. These are not disparate actions. It's one political project. And this is very important to under, under, understand this. And yet the Democrats, Sansara, have no 
answer to any of these outrages that are actually happening, what, you know, whether it's the oppression of black people, immigrants, etc. They're carrying out the same system and they're arguing and their difference with the Republicans uh, is, is, is their answer to that is to uphold what has been. So you have all Biden said in response to or the main thing Biden said in response to, to, to Tennessee is it was shocking. But their answer is to vote, vote, vote. Yeah, and Biden said essentially the same thing in response to this ban on mifepristone, on the abortion medication. He said, literally, he said two things. He said, number one, I promise we will fight this in the courts. I will fight this in the courts, me and my FDA. Only problem is is exactly what Bob Avakian spoke about in the excerpt we played. The higher up you go in this court system, the more it is dominated and controlled by fascists. Who the fuck do you think overturned women's right to abortion in the first place last year? It was the fascist packed Supreme Court. So that arena is that arena. You fight it there, that's where it goes. Then Biden said, exactly like you said, the only way, the only way he told everybody that you can protect abortion rights is to get out there and elect a Congress that will codify it, that will make a law protecting abortion rights. So we're supposed to forget about the fact that for 50 years, The Democrats, even when they had a majority, never codified abortion rights because their system does require the same patriarchal family. And there's a deeper there are deeper causes for that. They've always been defensive about this. But right now you are these Republicans are not respecting elections. They lose any meaningful election. Then you have these people who are, you know, hangers on to the Democrats, people trying to fight for the Democrats to be better. Please, please, please. You know, I had to bring this. This is uh, Rebecca Traster. Uh, feminist author writer and she's got the cover story in New York magazine this week the American flag okay very patriotic flag that bombs and invades all over the world but it says abortion wins elections and she's making the argument the Democrats really have to recognize what a winning strategy it will be to run on abortion and fight for abortion but whether abortions might help some Democrats win some elections does not mean that the Democrats can deliver abortion rights to women or fundamental emancipation, which is what we need. And so to most of all, in this moment when when you have half the rulers are fascists and the other half are telling you a lot of absolute bullshit about how that you should rely on them to fight this, we need to get out there and pose the actual alternative. It wouldn't be that hard with a new society, a new state power to guarantee the fundamental right to abortion and birth control to have the rule of law. It wouldn't be that hard and we'd be doing much more. We have to project this at a time when people are questioning. This is what May 1st, we have to put this revolution on the map and we have to be leading people to stand up against this and fight against this and influence what these institutions are doing now as we build up the strength to make this revolution. The Democrats will always say, well, what can we do? Because how, you know, the, we, we have to, we're dealing with all these fascists. It's a country full of fascists, as Bob Fakin has said. And, and this was a really painfully illustrated, um, you know, in the situation in Tennessee, uh, where this young Democratic representative, Justin Jones, and I don't know that much about him. I heard he initially got involved in politics from off of Trayvon uh, Martin's murder uh, by uh, this uh, reactionary thug. Um, and uh, 
And he stood up against the repeated fascist attacks on him, and he, you know, he was kicked out of the uh, the legislature for it. Now they were reinstated. I should say both of the representatives were reinstated by, because according to to the rules, their county boards uh, were able to reappoint them, and the Republicans, because of the Fuhrer, accepted them back. But um, you know, when he was speaking about this, uh, Justin uh, said uh, this quote: "Our role." was to be a speed bump. Our job was to be a voice of moral dissent. Our job was to be a check on power. So this is a a very stark admission of the lowered sights of progressive people. This is also what you see from Rebecca Traster. It's what you get on Democracy Now! It's what you get from all these social Democrats, is that all we can do is fight within the terms that exist, never mind the cost to humanity, and never mind that there's a whole section of the ruling class that is going to, is moving now to obliterate that right by gerrymandering, which means changing the the voting rules uh, and all this kind of stuff so that they can win elections. Because the thing about fascism is they would prefer to steal an election legally by by changing the rules of the game, but they are preparing to and and standing in the background to all of this is the fact that this social fascist social base is armed and preparing for civil war. Look, this is where we come in. This is where you come in. We need to get out there and let people know as these rulers are so sharply divided, as the system is increasingly being exposed as completely outmoded and illegitimate, or at least that question is hanging in the air if we hit it, people do not have to choose between a system where one half is outright fascist, shredding the norms, ripping up the rule of law in the service of white supremacist, genocidal, patriarchal enslavement and horror, and another half, the rulers who are clinging to these rules as they're being decimated and enforcing the same forms of oppression rooted in this system. This is a time to get out there and put real revolution, a whole different way we could be living without exploitation and oppression. Put this on the map. Let people know that there's a strategy for this revolution, that we have leadership for this revolution in Bob Avakian, that he wrote a constitution for a whole different way we could organize society, overcoming this oppression, digging it up and doing it together with people all over the world to bring about an emancipated future. This is possible. We have a strategy. Fight the power and transform the people for revolution that needs to be applied in an accelerated way right now, leading people to stand up against these assaults on their rights, organizing people to stand with us to defend people who are under attack by these fascist thugs and by the state itself in illegitimate ways as we build up the strength to make revolution and struggling with people to change how they are thinking and what they understand is the problem and the solution and breaking them out of the ways they are chained in their thinking to go along with this system, whether it be hoping for democracy to come around or, or, you know, woke identity politics, all kinds of ways that have people pointed in the wrong direction. We have to struggle fiercely with them right now to get out of that and get into this revolution to seize this chance that we have to make this real for humanity. That's right. This May 1st, when we come together and say we refuse to accept this system's future, a better world without oppression and exploitation is possible. 
That has real meaning. It has to sink in for people. And those students in Tennessee who marched to the State House, outraged that children were being shot down again and these fascist pigs in the Republican fascist party were stripping away their two rep these two representatives. The concern that they had, the concern that millions had after George Floyd was murdered. The young women Sansara who came out to try to hold on to abortion rights last year before Roe v. Wade was overturned. And all these young people who aspire to something different, who've also been suffering from being alienated in their phones and with the pandemic and this massive depression going on, May 1st, all those aspirations you have are going to be more than a speed bump on the oppression of this system. On May 1st, we represent and impact the whole society. There is a way out of this madness, and we're not going to put up with it anymore. Society has to know that you're not just angry at what they're doing to you, but that you're prepared to fight for a better world as you're learning about that a better world is possible. May 1st, this begins to come together. And then from there, we go forward and build our strength, going from scores and hundreds to thousands and ultimately millions of people who are standing up for the future of the emancipation of all of humanity. That's what happens. That's what's at stake. That's what's possible. That's what will be signified to the whole world on May 1st. You are listening to The Michael Slate Show. We're going to take a short musical break and be right back.
So with that, I want to move forward and share with you an interview that I did with Mark Joseph Stern of Slate.com about the federal court ruling last week banning one of the most common uh, medication used in more than 50% of all abortions in this country. Since I did this interview, uh, late, late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, the 5th District Court of Appeals in Louisiana issued a temporary ruling impacting this ban on mifepristone. So let me do an update real quick uh, to the interview you're about to hear. The Fifth Circuit Court temporarily blocked the full ban on mifepristone from going into effect, but they dramatically restricted access to mifepristone in the meantime. They made it so it's only available up until seven weeks into pregnancy rather than 10. Seven weeks is way before. Many, many, many women even know they're pregnant, and this applies nationwide. They made it so that this drug can only be prescribed in a doctor's office in person by a doctor. It can no longer be prescribed by nurses and health practitioners of other kinds, so that restricts access. It can also no longer be prescribed through telemed, telehealth. Um, So rural women, people who do not have access to abortion providers easily have to travel once again. This is dramatic restrictions. It can no longer be distributed in pharmacies. Um, And perhaps most ominously, some of these restrictions um, by the Fifth Circuit Court are rooted in the 1873 Comstock Act, a draconian, really horrific uh, act, which has broader dangers and implications as it gets resurrected. This is something that uh, we will talk more about in this interview in just a moment. So 
One more time, the ruling from the Fifth Circuit on this abortion pill ban is temporary. It's not the final ruling. So everything you're about to hear in the interview I'm about to share is still highly relevant and very important to understand. And we will be uh, doing updates here on this show as this goes forward. It's profoundly important to women's lives and humanity. Last Friday, April 7th, a Trump-appointed fascist federal judge out of Amarillo, Texas, named Matthew Kaczmarek, issued a truly shocking and unprecedented ruling. He ordered the Food and Drug Administration to withdraw its approval of Mifepristone. Protests broke out this weekend over the abortion pill ruling that has the potential to affect not just women in Texas, but women across the country. A conservative federal judge in Texas ruled Friday that the FDA improperly approved the abortion pill Mifepristone 23 years ago, ignoring legitimate safety concerns about the drug. Mifepristone is one of two approved pills that are used together to carry out more than half of legal abortions in this country. A drug that is safer than Tylenol and used in more than 50% of abortions in this country. This is the most dramatic and sweeping escalation in the war on women's fundamental right to abortion since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year. But that's not all. As our next guest has written about, this ruling also lays the basis for even further restrictions on abortion, up to and including a total abortion ban at the federal level. And it does gross violence to basic principles of law and has already sparked the contours of a constitutional crisis. Mark Joseph Stern is a senior writer at Slate.com. He covers the courts and the law. I am so happy to welcome you back. Mark, welcome. Thank you so much for having me back. Always a pleasure. This is a major ruling. Let's start with what this means um, for women's access to abortion in the immediate sense. If it is allowed to take effect, um, it will, in theory, block any abortion provider from prescribing mifepristone, uh, the first drug in a medication abortion, even in blue states where it is perfectly legal. Can you talk some about what's the language of this ruling and what are the implications of that? You know, before we even get there, let's back up and talk about who this guy is. Matthew Kaczmarek is a lifelong anti-abortion activist. He has spent his entire professional career fighting against abortion, trying to outlaw it and criminalize it under all circumstances. He is obsessed with this issue, and he believes and does not hide this belief that abortion is an ongoing genocide. And he feels he has every moral, religious, legal duty to stop it any way he can. And I think that background is the only way you can understand this decision itself, because as you say, it is a totally lawless decision and it is shot through with ridiculous anti-abortion rhetoric. You know, he refuses to say fetus. Instead, he says unborn person. Um, he really misdescribes how mifepristone works and suggests that a fetus is painfully starving to death and denied nutrition in the womb as though a fetus subjected to a mifepristone would even experience anything. It's only prescribed up to 10 weeks. It's We're talking about a tiny little clump of cells, as they say. Um, and he refers to abortion providers as abortionists, uh, a longtime slur that's used by opponents to make them sound like butchers, which is a term that didn't appear in that decision, but definitely could have and would have fit right in. Um, and so even setting aside the legal analysis, you have all of this very fraught and partisan language about how abortion is essentially murder that leads him to say that abortion does indeed kill a human being. And 
uh, strongly implies that by doing so, abortion is itself unconstitutional, a violation of fetus's constitutional rights, and suggests that he may even have the power to issue a nationwide ban on abortion to protect the equal protection rights of fetuses. Okay, I want to pause on that last point. Can you just explain on what basis um, this is being smuggled in, how this is happening, because very few people are calling attention to this. There's actually a lot of minimizing of the implications of this decision going on. So I, I think it'd be important for you to explain what you're drawing that from. Yeah, I, I will say, I think a lot of court reporters are so shocked and stunned by this decision that they're sort of inadvertently minimizing it because they can't accept how lawless it is. And I think that they have a real vested stake in perceiving the judiciary as a legitimate, trustworthy and independent institution. And they, they don't want to grapple with what this decision means for the whole judiciary. But here, here's what I'm talking about. There is a longtime theory that abortion violates the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution because fetuses are persons under that clause and abortion allows them to be murdered and thus violates equal protection. This theory has been a real fringe in the legal academy. Justice Scalia mocked it and rejected it outright, but it has been with the anti-abortion movement from the very, very beginning. The end goal of the anti-abortion movement has always been either a constitutional amendment criminalizing abortion under all circumstances, or a Supreme Court decision criminalizing abortion, holding that fetuses have equal protection rights. But Judge Kaczmarek in his decision favorably cited that brief that fetuses have constitutional personhood and in fact leveraged the argument to justify his nationwide stay of Mifepristone by saying that he had a duty to protect unborn persons or fetuses from the violence of abortion to safeguard their constitutional rights. That is fetal personhood in a nutshell. And if taken to its extreme, which I think this judge wants to, it leads to a judicially imposed federal ban on abortion. Okay, I'd like to talk also about the Comstock Act of 1873. Anthony Comstock was a moral crusader, um, somebody who really uh, has his parallel in the morality police of Iran, um, who have become notorious around the world recently, um, crusading against uh, anything that he considered lewd, obscene, um, and anything that went through the mail. This, this, these were um, laws that were used to go after Margaret Sanger and others who distributed birth control um, or even information about birth control. This was used to suppress Walt Whitman's poetry through the mail. This is a really arcane act that gets resurrected in this ruling. And I, I think it'd be helpful if you talk some about that and the broader implications of that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you really nailed it. Like this was a Victorian era law in the 19th century that was designed to censor the mail and really primarily to censor the free flow of information through the mail to censor freedom of speech. Also contraception, which was a rising issue in the 1870s when this law was passed. And uh, it, because uh, a lot of men who wrote this law viewed abortion and contraception as the same thing, it purports to outlaw abortion as well. It says any abortion-related tool or drug sent through the mail is criminal, just like any contraception-related drug is, is criminal. This law was so broad that even in the early 1900s, courts did not interpret it to mean that every single thing under the act that's mailed is a federal crime, because that would mean that like 
almost anything that's mailed as a federal crime. I mean, the First Amendment implications, just setting aside abortion, it would mean that, you know, an edition of People magazine that talks about celebrities going out on a date would be obscene and that mailing it could send you to prison for five years. And so for many, many decades, the courts have interpreted this narrowly to only mean that if you have an intent to violate the law, that you want to break the law and you're using the mail as part of your crime, that could be illegal. But that simply, you know, mailing a, a birth control or mailing mifepristone or mailing an edition of People magazine, that none of that is illegal. Like that has been the consensus interpretation. Matthew Kaczmarek comes in and overrules all of that. He overrules all of these decisions throughout the 20th century that severely limit the scope of the Comstock Act and says, actually, I think that this law means that anyone who mails mifepristone uh, to, to induce an abortion has committed a federal crime punishable by up to five years in prison. And so what that does is it doesn't just uh, serve as a justification to ban mifepristone. But it is an effort to really create, I think, a federal ban on all abortions involving drugs, even if his mifepristone decision is overruled, because, you know, he's basically saying any transportation of this drug is illegal. Well, it has to be transported to get to all 50 states and D.C. It has to go through some kind of mail or common carrier to reach its destination. And so even if, you know, a higher court says actually he can't, you know, suspend mifepristone Pristone's approval, it's possible that a court could agree and say, oh, but he's right about the Comstock Act, and it's now illegal for anybody to send Mifepristone through the mail or through a common carrier anywhere else, which would effectively do the same thing in terms of outlawing medication abortion nationwide. Mark, I want to thank you so much for making the time to talk with us. Thank you so much for having me on. Always a pleasure. Okay, beautiful people. We are almost to the end of the hour. That was Mark Joseph Stern uh, of Slate.com talking about the extraordinary escalation in the war on women's fundamental right to abortion, the lawlessness, the anti-science, the Victorian Dark Ages prudishness and worse that is coming back. This is a five alarm emergency. And you get this information here on The Michael Slate Show. You get this conversation and perspective here on The Michael Slate Show. Michael has covered the battle over abortion like no one else in this country, I have to say. And I am honored and privileged to be the guest host on an extended basis, continuing to bring this to you here. Um, I'm thrilled to have been able to bring you the conversation I had with Andy Z, the host of the Revolution Nothing Less show, talking about the intense extraordinary times that we are living in, the dangerous times, but also the revolutionary potential and possibility that is within this if we dare to recognize it scientifically and act on it. And with that, I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank Gary Baca for engineering, Henry Carson for assistant producing, and you for tuning in. I will be back next week. And until then, remember, the problem is not human nature. It is the nature of the system. Through a real revolution, a better world is possible. One way or another, I'm gonna find you, I'm trying to, beneath the surface where the well is deep and wide. Maybe they gather on the moonless skies, I know I've seen them on the other side.
messengers of a 